So in preparing for tonight, you know, at Calvary we do book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And standing in for Tony tonight, I didn't want to just, it just felt uncomfortable as I was studying to just jump right in at Jericho. So I was trying to figure out how far to go back, and I wound up going back about three months in Jesus' life. So you don't have to follow me. Uh, we will start at chapter 18, verse 35, but I'm going to go back a little bit before that and just hit some highlights what's been going on for three months in Jesus' life so we can kind of get a feeling what's been going on, the crowds following him, and so on and so forth. And the crowds have been following him for over a year now. And um, after Jericho, his time on earth would be winding down. Uh, when he leaves Jericho, the next thing on the calendar was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then Passion Week follows that. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to start at Luke 13, verse 22. You don't have to turn there, because I'm going to move right along. And like I said, I don't want to get bogged down there. I'm just going to kind of go through it. And uh, in my Bible, um, there's headings in, in top of some of the stories or parables or healings and things like that. So I'll read the heading. If it needs a little explanation, I'll give it a little explanation. I'm just going to kind of move through this kind of quickly. <clears throat> oh, the title tonight is Jesus Can Change Lives Immediately and Eternally. Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, and What Happened in Jericho. So in Luke 13, 22, it says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And here are some of the events recorded for us. Jesus said, Strive to enter the narrow gate, which is, of course, Jesus. Jesus laments over Jerusalem because he understands rejection. Mercy is proper every day. And that was about when he heals the man with dropsy on the Sabbath. The parable of the ambitious guest, which is about humility. The parable of the great supper, which is about opportunities do come to an end. Jesus teaches about discipleship tested and counting the cost of discipleship. And there is cost to be a follower of Jesus. I think we can all relate to that in our own lives, and uh, even if it's not in our own lives. People we know, things they've had to give up. The parables of the lost sheep, where he leaves the 99 and searches for one. The lost coin, where there's great joy for repentance of one. And the lost son. There are many lessons there are most important that God loves us and he never gives up on us. The proper use of money. You can't serve God and mammon. In Luke chapter 14 verse, I'm sorry, chapter 16 verse 14, Jesus rebukes greed. 
Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all of these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. <clears throat> so whether you noticed it or not, the ones I picked out, I'm trying, they're trying, I tried to relate them to the story of what we're going to get to eventually. I'm getting there. Then there was the rich man and Lazarus, and that's about reaping what you sow. And at some point, there's no opportunity to change. Instructions regarding offending, forgiving, and faith. The story of the ten lepers that were cleansed. Jesus foretells his second coming. Persistence rewarded. The widow and the ungodly judge. Pharisee and the tax collector, proper and improper attitudes. And Jesus blesses the little children after his disciples rebuke them. He said, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then there was the rich young ruler, which was about idolatry. And finally, the reward for sacrifice, when he responded to Peter saying, we left all to follow you, Lord. So right before verse 35... At verse 31, I'll read this whole verse here, 31 to 34, as kind of a jump off into the study tonight. It's Luke 18, 31. He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. He knew where he was going, and he knew what was going to happen. So that's three months, and now here we are, we're at Jericho. In verse 35 it reads, Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. A little bit about Jericho. <clears throat> Excuse me. Located 850 below sea feet below sea level, Jericho is about 18 miles from Jerusalem. Many sources that I uh, researched agree that it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, inhabited city of the earth. Its strategic location along ancient trade routes made it a key city, both in the Old and the New Testaments. Many wealthy people lived there, or had winter homes there because of its warm climate. It was also famous for wine, dates, spices, known for its field of roses and balsam trees, which perfumed the air 
It was a real-life oasis in the desert. Josephus, the historian, called it a divine city. As I was studying, I read all that, and I'm reading all these commentaries. I thought, if you're about my age, there was a show used to be on television called Lifestyle of Rich and Famous. That's what I thought of Jericho was like. So Luke records what I just read. He says it was he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man was begging. It's also recorded in the Gospel of Mark. We get a little more information about this same blind man. His name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And in Mark's account, it says he came out of Jericho. Matthew, on the other hand, records the same healing, but states there were two blind men. And he says, as they went out of Jericho. So there's a short explanation here. Commentary site, there were two Jerichos, there still are today. There's a mound where the old Jericho was, where Joshua walked around the city and the walls came crumbling down. And then there was the new inhabited Jericho. So, again, not to get too bogged down in that small detail of were they coming into town, were they coming out of town. Between the three accounts, though, the similarities are as follows. All three accounts say the beggars were on the roadside. They all called Jesus the Son of Man. They were rebuked. They did cry out louder. The conversation between Jesus and the beggars are the same. And the end of the story is the same. They're healed, and they immediately follow Jesus. And I was, I was reading through that, I thought, you know, just about life in general, when you talk to people sometimes when something happens, and people come up with a story, you can tell sometimes if it's been rehearsed or not. I have a background, I used to be a police officer, so sometimes you interview people and you can tell, you talk to four different people about something that happened a week ago and all four stories are exactly the same. That's almost less true than when there's some discrepancies. So that seemed to make sense to me. It probably does to you too. In any case, to focus on these minor details is to miss the point. There's a blind beggar on the side of the road and Jesus is gonna dramatically change his life. So in verse 36, it says, And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So I read that and I was studying. I said, my first question was, how did, how did he know who Jesus was? You know, you can't help but wonder, did he hear conversations? Was it, was it common knowledge by this time? Jesus has been doing ministry for two and a half years. Maybe when he sent out the disciples to go and preach, maybe somebody wound up in Jericho. Maybe somebody talked to him personally. I don't know. We don't know. It doesn't say. But he's at least heard of them. And he's heard the claims he's made because he, he cries out properly. He says, Son of David, which is to call him the long-awaited Savior. It wasn't just a, a genealogy title. I mean, he knew who Jesus was. 
maybe somebody witnessed to him. And I was studying that and I was thinking about myself and people we run into in our life. I do, you do. Some we witness to, some we don't. Sometimes we know, you know, we pray at church often, you know, to be sensitive to those meetings, and we are, and sometimes, and I know for me anyway, I don't follow through. Somebody followed through. Somebody spoke to this guy, and he knew. In Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, is Paul speaking. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. I thought that was right on the money. So the opportunity arrives. Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. He asks what's going on. Jesus is walking by. He crawls out. He yells out to him. He didn't have time to plan. He didn't know the day before Jesus was coming, right? He's there. It's happening. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't, you know, obviously didn't have a phone or anything, but he didn't reach out to talk to anybody. He didn't, you know, try to go back to where he lived or find somebody. This is his moment. He knows it's his moment. He's not going to be stopped. And uh, as a practical application, I was reading through this. I also, you know, you think about your own life again. Um, clear opportunities in my life, doors that I know God have opened or he wanted me to do something and I passed on it. Other times I didn't. And uh, Bartimaeus didn't, didn't miss his shot here. The opportunity presented itself and he makes his move. And he does the right thing first. He cries out for mercy. Further proof, proof that Bartimaeus is recognizing God for who he is. He cries out, have mercy on me. That's the first thing he says. Not heal me, not anything else. Have mercy on me. That's where we should be. Verse 39. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. When I was uh, reading, you go back and you read this account and this person's commentary on it and that person's commentary. It was dramatic. He was screaming. And I think we can all relate to that, you know, from the time we were younger or not, you know, when you, he was not going to be stopped. And he was blind. And, you know, um, it's just, it's, it's great that he, he's not going to be stopped. And I also wrote my notes here. I, I see myself sometimes when I read these stories and I'm studying or just reading or even at church when Tony's teaching, not in the good light, you know. I could see myself as one of these people in front, like, hey, keep it down, you know. We don't have time for you. We're trying to get Jesus, trying to get here or, you know, get, getting caught up what we think is right. or, But not Jesus. He's going to show it right here. It's always people first. That's how he conducts his ministry. That's who he is. That's what he's about. <laughs> Verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. 
And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus is obviously in control here of the crowd and everything else. As prophesied in Isaiah 35, 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. He stops for one, just like we just read in one of the uh, parables. This giant crowd around him, there's all these people, these things going on. Here's this divine appointment with this one guy, but all these other witnesses too, all these other people get to see this and be involved in it and have an opportunity. They're going to see what's going on and have an opportunity. They're you know, within earshot of Jesus or maybe even close enough to touch him. He stops for one, one calling out with a pure heart and no reservation. Bartimaeus won't be stopped. Those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we all came differently, but at some point, that same heart condition. I surrender. Have mercy, Lord. And that's what we try to share with family and friends. But words really don't do it justice. It's hard to put into, into a box how he changed our lives. Like he's going to do here for blind Bartimaeus. He acknowledges Jesus as Lord. As again, it's by faith, not by sight. He says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He calls him Lord again. Verse 42, then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What an impact. What a ripple effect right at that moment to get the maximum effectiveness. He'd maybe heard of Jesus a long time ago. He was praying. Maybe his family was praying. He was hoping and praying and hoping and praying. Maybe he heard of other people that got healed, blind people, the lame, leprosy. Not only did all these other people get to witness this miracle also, but how Jesus handled the whole situation. The words he chose. Your faith. Your faith, he says to the guy. So if you're standing there and you're hearing it, you're, you had to think, this is available to me too. Or maybe right afterwards when they start following him, he says to the guy, what was it about your faith? Why did he heal you? And the guy says, I don't know. I heard him. He was Jesus. He was God. He's the son of God. The opportunity is there for everybody. Bartimaeus reacts to encountering Jesus in his life. His life's dramatically changed, immediately and eternally. He was prompted by gratitude and love to follow and worship his Savior. It's the same when he breaks into our life. It's something people can point to 
they say things like, there's something different about her now. There's something different about him. It's a real tangible change. It's the same thing that happened to Bartimaeus. Maybe we weren't physically blind, but there was a supernatural change. The literal grace of God being poured out on an individual. Amazing. The crowd who witnessed the actual miracle, or at least the change, gave the glory to God. That's how it finished up. Gave praise to God. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. Maybe they didn't see the actual healing. But all these people, they saw something, and then they're talking about it, and they're like, what? That's incredible, and they're praising God, and it moves along. And I'm going to move along. We're going to go right into chapter 19 now. Verse 1 and 2. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Another divine appointment. There will be many witnesses of this one also. A miraculous transformation of Zacchaeus' life. But this transformation happens on the inside, which I would assume is like most of us. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, as if being a tax collector wasn't bad enough, we can be sure he was hated by all. Jericho, like I said earlier, was a wealthy town. Therefore, there was lots of people to tax. And he had worked away to the top of his profession. A Christian apologist by the name of James Rockford wrote a book, and I took some quotes out of it to explain what a tax collector is. And then I'll talk about this a little bit more. The tax collectors would then tax imports, exports, bridge tolls, road money, town dues, and much more. The highest bidder, Roman businessmen, would win the territory. Consequently, the tax collectors would skim money off the top for themselves. These methods were unethical to say the least. For one, these tax collectors would harass people wherever they could, and they would tax them on the spot. So even if a different tax collector shook you down for money up the road, you could be taxed again by another collector just hours or minutes later. Second, they would also place an inflated or fictitious value on property or income in order to get a higher percentage of tax. Third, they would give loans to people who couldn't pay the tax and then charge high interest on this private debt. They, they had you coming and going. And uh, it's interesting when it said the Roman businessmen. And so, so Rome would take over a territory and then they would chop it up and they would let businessmen bid for the area. So somebody would bid for Jericho. And then they would get the bid and then they'd go out and they'd hire people to be the tax collectors. And they'd give them the muscle and go do it. And they were very... Limited rules they had, if any. Just make sure I get my cut. I mean, not a whole lot has changed. 
So here's Zacchaeus. He's in that group of people. He's a chief of these people, which means he was a very desperate man. It was dangerous for Zacchaeus to step out. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let's read verse 3. So he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. He was a desperate man, and it was dangerous for him to go out. He knew it was dangerous for him to go out, but he didn't care. He was another guy. He was desperate in a different way, but like Bartimaeus, he was desperate. He knew people were not indifferent to him, and it was dangerous to go into a crowd of people where he could get thumped, or much worse. But he heard that Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners, and maybe he would do the same for him. A broken man, a desperate man, stuck in his wealth and living in the shadow of his life decisions, no family, no friends, no community. He's an outcast, but he sought to see. Desperation is giving him the courage he needs, but he's a small man. You can see him out there trying to get through the crowds, and people are identifying him, and they're roughing him up. He doesn't care. He's trying to get through, but he can't. But he knows the town. He can see the way the crowd's going, and he thinks the sycamore tree. If I can get to the sycamore tree. There's no turning back now. He goes to the tree. He climbs up the tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Jesus saves immediately and eternally. Immediately from the crowd. He's safe now. It's amazing. That had to be the greatest thing for Zacchaeus. Years of bad decisions. Years of bad decisions. But he stuck to it. No friends, no family. But look at all this wealth I have. He probably had the best house. No one to share anything with. But he just kept forging forward. He becomes the chief of the tax collectors. No friends. Nobody to share a cup of coffee with. And here's Jesus. Jesus announces for all to hear that he knows him by name and he'll be staying at his house that night. No doubt. Zacchaeus is relieved. You bet he made haste and came down quickly and received him joyfully. I, I, you know, after I read that and I thought about it, I read it again, it says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. I bet he did. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be with a guest. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. His detractors 
and the community in general were watching. They hated Zacchaeus, and for good reason. Looking to derail him and expose him by judging him by their laws and traditions. And I know, just like before, with the crowd with Bar Bartimaeus, I can see myself slip into this group too. You know, Zacchaeus ruined my family. He ruined my father's business. He, he, he wiped us out. We're living on the streets. We got nothing. And he's going to go in and eat with them? But that's who Jesus is. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Pharisees are stuck in the law and traditions of men, and they still didn't understand for months they'd been following them, who Jesus was and what he was trying to teach them. They were hard-hearted, and they were running out of time. Verse number 8. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation... I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So from Verse 8 to 10, I see, as I was reading this, I see like the whole scene unfolding. Like all this is happening at the same time. There's people from the community that are squabbling over Jesus being in there with Zacchaeus. The Pharisees are angry about him breaking the traditions of men and the man-made laws that they made. It was happening right before their eyes, though. Salvation of Zacchaeus. And the same opportunity is available to all who are hearing and witnessing what's happening. Zacchaeus is confessing and repenting right in front of him. And his faith is immediately followed by works. In that order. Saved to do good works, not the opposite. Not works to get saved. James chapter 2 talks about that. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 1, it says, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Zacchaeus, fulfill, he fulfills the requirements of the law. But then he goes further. He gives away half of his wealth, 
right off the bat. I'm going to give half of this to the poor. He's a changed man. It's radical. It's radical. He woke up that, that morning hated and alone. Some point during the day, there's a crowd. What's going on? It's Jesus. Jesus, he makes his way. His life is, and he's not going back. Immediately, there's fruit of the Spirit from the man he was earlier in that day. Again, it's tangible. And again, going back to like a practical application. It's what we try to explain to our family and our friends whose eyes he has not opened yet. I'm not who I was. I doubt you are either. He changed me. Just like Zacchaeus here, the love of Christ has shown into my heart and he changed me. And he changed Zacchaeus. Radical. Radical. Not only does he change him, Jesus shows the love of God like there's nobody beyond the love of God. Verse 9, I want to read it again. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus clarifies who Zacchaeus is to him. He's a lost sheep. An outcast of society in Jericho and in his religious family. Complete outcast. Tax collectors weren't allowed in the synagogue. They weren't allowed to exchange money in the synagogue. They weren't allowed to be witnesses. But not Jesus. No one is too far from Jesus' healing touch. Those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we weren't beyond him. Nor was Zacchaeus, Bartimaeus, our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers, and so on. And in conclusion, I want to read verse number 10 again, the most important verse. He clarifies for them and for us. He's just, you know, I mean, months and months and months they're following him. His disciples didn't even get it. Some people are getting it, some aren't getting it, but he, tell, he makes it so clear. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Lord, we are so grateful you did. I'm going to close in prayer and then open it up if anybody wants to pray for a few minutes and then I'll close this out.